This is an RNZ podcast. Rubber bullets were being fired. I myself was hit by a rubber bullet in my chest and the back of my leg. Incredibly painful things they are. And I saw one girl that was hit by a rubber bullet in her eye. She was bleeding profusely. There was tear gas canisters being thrown to try and disperse the crowds. That was Sally Ahan from Turkish broadcaster TRT World on TVNZ1 News last Monday, one of many journalists injured in several cities across the US this week while reporting from this week's demonstrations. And some of them were caught in the crossfire, but many were targeted by either militarised police officers or, in some cases, actual military police. They've been pepper sprayed, shot by rubber bullets, pushed and punched, and they've also faced arrest and detention, even when it was quite clear who they were why they were there, and that they were just doing their jobs. Last weekend, for example, CNN reporter Omar Jimenez and his crew were taken into police custody during a live broadcast. Viewers watched as they were cuffed and led away over a five-minute period in which they followed all the instructions of police officers who showed no interest in their credentials. Our CNN producer is being... I'm probably going to be taken in a minute. Our CNN camera crew and our producer are being arrested right now on live television in handcuffs. I've never seen anything like this. Why, guys, what is... Allison. Why are you arresting us? In Minneapolis, which was ground zero for the protests, freelance journalist Linda Tarado was struck in the left eye by a rubber bullet fired by police on Sunday. She had to be helped to the hospital by strangers in the crowd and has now been told that she's lost vision permanently in that eye. She told the BBC she now has a difficult recovery ahead and a big bill. I don't have health insurance and the bills for this might total up to a quarter million dollars. Um, so there's that pressure. Um, but, but otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm going to continue to do my job. Um, we'll see, you know, how much photography I can do. But I'm, I'm also, you know, a writer. Um, it's, it's unfortunate and I'm not going to say I'm happy about it. But um, if I, I guess if somebody thought they were going to stop me telling stories and, and doing my job by putting my eye out, they, uh, they're going to have to try harder. It turns out that Linda Tarado's stoicism and apparent optimism is partly explained by adversity that she's faced earlier in her career in journalism. And you can read all about that on the webpage for this week's Midweek Media Watch on the RNZ website or the Media Watch section of the RNZ app. But while Linda and many other reporters have copped it from the US cops this week, some reporters were also roughed up by protesters. In Atlanta, the headquarters of CNN, one of Trump's top media targets incidentally, was attacked last weekend by several dozen people, one of whom threw a flash grenade into the building's lobby, even as armed police stood guard there. In an eye-opening rundown of attacks on the media this past week, online outlet Vox pointed out that this is actually nothing new during protests over race in the US. Journalists were targeted by police in the Ferguson, Missouri protests back in 2015 in what Vox called a pattern of violence and arrests which continued into this weekend's protests. And it said that pattern stretches all the way back to the civil rights era of the 1960s. But the US-based Press Freedom Tracker, which has kept the running total of known press freedom violations this past week, says assaults on media staff by police this past week outnumber those by protesters by about 5 to 1. And when it's foreign reporters getting the treatment, it's an especially bad look for the US around the world. Stefan Simons, a reporter from Germany's international news broadcaster Deutsche Welle, was shot by projectiles by police in Minneapolis while preparing to go on air. Stefan, we're shooting at you. We're press! This is press, guys! 
Stop shooting at us! We're in the middle of a live shot! Stay by the car! Yeah, okay! You're gonna get me! Please! We're doing a job! And this is the Senate, Senate press accreditation, so come on! We're not doing anything! And Germany's foreign minister, Heiko Maas, wasn't happy. We will contact U.S. authorities to find out more about the circumstances. We remain firmly committed. Journalists must be able to carry out their task, which is independent coverage of events, without endangering their safety. Democratic states, under the rule of law, have to meet the highest standards when it comes to protecting freedom of the press. Meanwhile, in Australia, Channel 7 viewers saw camera operator Tim Myers, who's covered war zones around the world, punched and hit with a riot shield outside the White House, live on breakfast TV, along with reporter Amelia Brace. And along with the Channel 7 studio team, Australia's Prime Minister Scott Morrison was alarmed by what he saw. He has had an antagonistic relationship with local media at home, but he's now asked the Australian Embassy in Washington to investigate and register his government's concern about that assault. International press freedom groups have joined US ones in their condemnations. The International Federation of Journalists, for example, has accused US authorities of crude censorship and a use of excessive force in an attempt to stop journalists scrutinising police responses to the protest movement. From the president to the law enforcement authorities, they say, it's time to stop the deliberate targeting of journalists, and those who do must be held to account. And in another statement, the US-based Committee to Protect Journalists said authorities in cities across the US need to instruct their police not to target journalists and to ensure they can report safely on the protests without fear of injury or retaliation. Now, in some places in the states, they did do that. Florida's Miami-Dade County, for example, included the media in its list of curfew exemptions in the emergency orders and publicised that on social media. When local reporter Joel Franco was arrested, he was released after a few hours and the state's attorney-general put out a statement acknowledging the mistake and dismissing the charge in full. Not surprisingly, his detention was turned into a story for his local viewers by his colleagues and news media have been pretty effective this past week in bringing instances of mistreatment of the media to light in their own outlets and also on social media. But given the scale and the scope of the disturbances, were media really extensively targeted or were some journalists just in the wrong place at the wrong time in the streets at the protests? I asked Dr Courtney Radge, the advocacy director for the Washington-based Committee to Protect Journalists. Uh, no, I don't think that's accurate. I think certainly these protests are on a massive scale, which we haven't seen since the civil rights era. And as a result, of course, we expect to see journalists around the world covering these protests. We know that protests are typically you know, challenging and, and potentially dangerous times for journalists because they can get caught up in the violence. Um, they can get you know, pepper sprayed or tear gas uh, as part of the general melee. And sometimes they've been targeted by protesters who you know, want to control the narrative. But what is unique about this and what really stands out and is so deeply concerning is how many cases of journalists have been targeted by police and by law enforcement, including after they clearly identified themselves as journalists, and yet it did not seem to make a difference. That is unprecedented. 
And just looking at those figures, Courtney, on that Press Freedom Tracker, the the latest as we speak, 279 Press Freedom incidents, as they call it, uh, 45-plus journalists arrested. But the interesting figure here, 180 assaults, and they're saying 149 by police. I think that we've seen enough examples on live broadcast television, not to mention the numerous you know, video cams and, and social media recordings of police targeting journalists. For example, the CNN reporter on Friday who was arrested uh, live on air, the police could have just gone onto CNN's you know, uh, feed and seen that they were indeed live broadcasting. So I don't think that it's accurate to say that they're just getting caught up. An Australian journalist was beaten with a shield on live television while she was broadcasting. You know, we saw a German uh, journalist, Stefan, get targeted by police, despite the fact that he was saying, I'm media, I'm media, I'm a journalist. Deeply concerning, and it indicates that police do not seem to care that these people are journalists. Well, those two incidents that you mentioned there, the Australian Channel 7 Q and Stefan Simons from Germany, they've both had a response from senior politicians, the German foreign minister, likewise even the Australian prime minister. Do you think this will actually get a response? We don't know yet. My concern is that President Trump has very little regard for press freedom and for the rights of journalists. He has constantly denigrated the press throughout his term in office and attacked individual journalists and media outlets by name, as well as the more general concept of journalism and its role in democracy. So I think it is important that these uh, other countries have written to the president as they would in other cases, in, you know, as they have done in cases of uh, assaults against journalists in Egypt or the crackdown on journalists in Turkey. What is shocking is that this has to happen in the United States. So we need to see leadership from mayors, from police chiefs, from governors to come out forcefully and condemn these attacks to launch investigations, to find out um, why these attacks occurred, and then to hold those account- those who were responsible accountable. We have had uh, an instance um, of uh, in Florida of one journalist who was arrested and then released with the state attorney making it very clear she was dismissing the charge, and she said in her statement, working journalists have... First Amendment rights, as she put it, uh, and there was no case for this guy, Joel Franco, to be arrested in the first place and no case at all for detaining him once that had happened. Those First Amendment rights must be applicable nationwide. Well, the First Amendment certainly applies across the United States and is the foundational constitutional right upon which all you know, laws are built. All of the local laws and regulations are done at a local level. And so there isn't a, you know, one size fits all approach to curfews or, you know, which journalists are, whether journalists are allowed to be out reporting or not. So in some cases, we've seen that there have been explicit announcements about journalists being exempt from curfews. In other cases, this has not been clearly communicated and I think regardless, this does not always translate down to the you know, police officer or law enforcement official on the front lines. And I think that's why we need to see uh, condemnation of these attacks at all levels, including from the highest level. We need to see this from the president because that would set the tone. I'm following all of this on social media and uh, in the news, so I can't say that we have firm documentation. But what I'm seeing reported is that For example, um, New York and the U.S. 
um, uh, excuse me, sorry, the U.S. Park Police have launched investigations into some of these attacks. So that's beneficial. But then we're also seeing places like, you know, New Orleans, where the police department is not um, admitting that it used tear gas on protesters. Um, these attacks on just uh, on journalists and the targeting was unjustified. But is it actually illegal? And could we now see uh, individual journalists and news organisations now trying to sue uh, the police and, and other um, organisations that targeted them? Yes, yes. It is illegal to attack journalists. It is illegal to target them, especially after they have identified themselves as journalists. It is illegal to, you know, fire rubber bullets to beat them with shields. Absolutely, that's illegal. We have signed on to a letter with the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press and many other organizations to the Minnesota Police Department where they have laid out the specific legal justifications and defenses uh, that protect the rights of journalists to report on the police, to report on civil unrest, and to seek redress. And I do believe that we will see uh, news organizations suing. We definitely intend to follow up with the police departments and local authorities to demand justice and to demand investigation. This is going to be a giant headache for these local authorities because this is not acceptable in an American democracy. There is a very strong First Amendment as well as case law protection for the rights of journalists and the news organizations and media support groups are certainly not going to sit by and let this go, uh, you know, unprosecuted. Right now, Courtney, our media aren't in the greatest shape. They've been hit by COVID and all sorts of other things, and it's not a very profitable uh, venture. So our correspondents don't often get to leave the country. So we're relying entirely on reports from uh, mainly US broadcasters of what we see. Do you think it matters and that we should care here in New Zealand that our own correspondents aren't there to witness events for themselves in the US? Having an international perspective on that is really important because it adds a different dimension. You know, looking at the United States as you would any other country versus, you know, the American perspective, which is often to say, oh, you know, we're a city on a hill where, you know, this somehow we have this American exceptionalism and we have the First Amendment. Well, you know, we have seen that in the past several days, the First Amendment has largely been rhetorical and it has not protected journalists. From, you know, from these attacks, which we also have to remember is happening within the context of a global health pandemic. Great. Thank you very much, Courtney. And just, just finally, though, I mean, you're working and living in Washington. Um, how's it been for you these last week or, or, or 10 days? Has it actually affected you? Disturbances presumably going on not, not too far from where you live and work? Yeah, it, it is just shocking to see military tanks coming down my streets to hear helicopters overhead circling, uh, to watch my social media feed filled with colleagues and and unknown journalists alike um, talking about what they're facing. And it really reminds me of what I saw in Egypt. Uh, I worked as a journalist um, throughout the Middle East. And, you know, during the Arab Spring in Egypt, we saw police using animals, horses and camels to run over protesters. We saw the same things um, here, we, we, you know, the, the, the fact that we have troops out on the streets with no insignia, no names, we cannot hold them accountable. We don't even know who they report to. I, the, the scenes I'm seeing in my hometown here are really reminiscent of what I've seen in dictatorial and authoritarian regimes around the world. The photo 
of the masses of troops stationed on the Lincoln Memorial was shocking. I just can't believe that we are having to do the same type of advocacy and, and use the same type of terminology that we use to protect um, independent journalists who are trying to work in some of the most repressive environments around the world, that we have to recommend to journalists that they don black jackets and goggles and prepare for vehicular jamming and, you know, all of these tactics that are more familiar when you are reporting in a war zone. Yeah, you have written extensively about and in detail about what happened in Egypt, the so-called Arab Spring, and also uh, the emergence and the importance of digital networks in that. And just the other day, there was a tweet from an American journalist, I think just in jest, but saying, hey, how come no one's calling this the American Spring? And uh, I, guess, I guess it's just a joke. But I wonder, do you think this could be an event we look back on in, in media history and years to come and think about how they report? I think that this experience will illustrate the vital need for media organizations, freelancers, citizen journalists, all journalists to be thinking about safety whenever they go out and report. I also hope that the legacy of this will be reform in terms of the militarization and aggressive tactics of the police being reformed to ensure that they are trained on how to enable journalists to work safely and without fear of injury and that they understand and and respect the role of journalists. Now, right now, that's a hope, but we are going to work uh, with the local departments on making this happen. That was Dr. Courtney Radge, Advocacy Director for the Washington-based Committee to Protect Journalists.